overrated things in the world is sliced bread. I don't know what it says about our society that among all the great innovations, when we look back, we say, wow, that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, But when we talk about really great accomplishments, um, we we typically talk about what makes an accomplishment great um, is is that it, it achieves something important. And also, it's... Typically, great achievements in history have been things that uh, fall into one of two categories. Either the first thing is that something or, or some, someone did something that, that people said, you should not do that. That's not a good idea. I think about um, Rosa Parks, for example. Uh, so, I mean, just the audacity to not get up and go to the back of the bus. That was just a small thing, but, but to think of what that accomplished in, in our history, uh, that was uh, just an amazing thing. And, and everybody thought probably, you know, uh, thought just get up and go to the back of the bus. Right? Just don't make waves. But, but someone decided I'm not going to do what, what everybody said to do. And that was an incredible accomplishment. But sometimes... Sometimes things are so crazy. Sometimes people, this is an idea that's so crazy, people wouldn't tell you not to do it because no one would actually ever suggest that you might do that thing. Like um, in 1987, there was a a guy uh, who flew an airplane into, uh, now this was under the time of the Soviet Union, uh, just before it ended actually, uh, but flew from West Germany, flew an airplane and landed it right in the middle of the Red Square in Moscow. Right? This 19-year-old kid. Right? No one would go, so, um, son, don't fly your airplane to the Red Square. Right? That's not something you would be taught to do or not do, because it's such a crazy idea. So I say all that to tell you I'm going to do something that's so crazy today. Uh, in our reading, as we're, we're going through the Bible, and we're, we're almost finished up, in the New Testament, we were in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to attempt to do something that's so crazy. I don't think it's ever been attempted. You're going to be a uh, witness. I, I, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, right? And and it is each of those items could be its own mini-series. It could, you, could, you could take 1 Corinthians 13 and go through it for a year and a half in sermons. And I'm going to attempt to go through that uh, very briefly this morning. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and... and uh, but to look at just some concepts, uh, obviously we can't detail everything. First Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but I don't have love, well, then I am nothing. Though I give all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. It doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they will fail. Where there's tongues, they will cease. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. 
But we know in part, we prophesy in part, and that this is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. There's too much in here to, to get into, especially in that last section. Is What does that all mean? I'm not going to try to get into that today. Uh, but we do see a couple of things, just a, a couple of ideas here. The superiority of love. And it is superior in two ways. Well, we obviously know that it's superior in its quality and its substance than faith and hope. Now, now we don't want to diminish faith and hope. But, but love is... Faith, with, we see in this beginning of this text, he talks about what things would be if we remove love from the equation. And if, if we remove from the equation love, then faith is really kind of aimless. And all these different aspects, if we take out love out of them, we, we see that they, they kind of create this weird mix. This, this strange object that it doesn't really work the right way. Love is this key that, that makes all these different things work the right way. It's also superior in time in that last section, and we're not going to, that's the, the part that's kind of weird. Uh, we're not going to get into that part, but, uh, uh, but he basically says this is superior in time. Love is, is greater than faith and hope in, in, in terms of how long it will last. Because faith and hope, which are very similar, but, but faith is kind of like this belief in something that you can't see. So when you can finally see it, you don't need the faith in it. Hope is, is similar, but hope is like, um, <clears throat> I want something to happen. It hasn't happened yet. I really desire it to happen. So, so when that thing occurs, well, hope is no longer necessary. And so they're temporary. Faith and hope are designed as this temporary thing. Like the donut in your back of your car, you, you go down the highway, and, and sometimes you'll see people flying down the highway, when, you know, the car's kind of like this, and they're going down the highway on their donut. It's not, that's not how it's supposed to be used. It's supposed to be used to get you to the next exit. It's supposed to be something temporary. Love is greater than these. It's, it's, a, it's to be permanent. And it outlasts all these because it's, it's built on the relationship between people. And so everything that we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> it modifies all these things because it's building the relationship <clears throat> between people. And, and so because relationships with people do not end either in this life or in the next, or at least they're not designed to, love surpasses faith and hope. The need for faith and hope will end, but, but love will only grow stronger because the relationship will continue. And so he goes, we're going to kind of, not going to go in order here, we're going to kind of group these different things so you can kind of see some of the different aspects 
And there's just a couple of categories. And, and, and sometimes it's easier to define something by what it's not. And so he defines throughout here what love is not. And then he goes back through and he, he, he defines what love is. There's, there's some things you can know. If, if, if this is happening, there's no love, or there's a problem with love in this situation. And we're going to work from the inside, and we're going to work to the outside. He says love is not certain attitudes. He begins from, and when we talk about an attitude, we're talking about just kind of where you are at a standstill moment in time. My, my general outlook, my general state of mind at any point in time. That's my attitude. And from my attitudes, all these other things will, will be determined. He says it's not pride. At just a standstill moment, if my, my outlook is that I'm, I'm a pretty important guy, that's not love because I'm now looking at me. And love is designed as this thing that, that looks at the relationship between other people. So if I'm, if I'm focused over here on me, then it's going to hinder the relationship. And so the very beginning, love is not pride. Well, very similar to that, he says, it's not self-seeking. Because it's the same concept. It's a little bit. It's not just pride, like I'm so great, but, but what are my interests? What, what, how am I being affected by this? And so, so pride kind of moves into this category of, of looking at how everything affects me. How am I affected by this? Well, when, when I start, I'm not saying, uh, Paul said it in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he talks about how no longer seek your own interests only. There's a time where, where our interests are important, what's good for me is important. And Paul's clear on that. But to be self-seeking is to, to have the general disposition that the first question I ask is, what does this do for me? Not that I'm never in the question, never that I'm never in the equation, because I'm a part of relationships. And so how things affect me are important also. But instead of putting the focus on one side of the equation, it's, it's encompassing. Love encompasses. It says, what are the interests for the relationship? He moves into a slightly different topic. He says, uh, he talks about desires, which are a little bit different from attitude. Attitude is just that in a moment, at any moment, the cross-section of, of what makes up me. But a desire is, desires are the, the motives and the things that I want. They're determined by my attitudes. He says, envy. Love does not envy. Envy, from, from just a quick look at it, seems to be focused on other people. Because I'm, 
I'm looking at what other people have, and I want what they have. Well, and, and not just stuff. Envy can be a, a situation. I can be looking at, I wish I was in that person's shoes. And not necessarily something they have, but, but a situation that they're in. I wish I was in that situation. And it appears to be looking at other people, but it's not really. Because really what envy is doing is looking at me and looking at the lack that I have. It's, it's really a negative thing focused on me. I am missing this. And yes, that person over there has it. But really, it's just a continuation of that pride. What don't I have? And so, not really a big difference between attitudes, I suppose, and desires, but, but a slight Slight difference. We, we move on further out from the core of who we are. He then talks about some thoughts. Well, thoughts are a little bit like desires, but now we're, we're forming plans based on those desires. My thinking, the rational processes. He says it thinks no evil. Boy, this, can, this is, there are no shortage of translations of this phrase because it's like a bunch of general words with lots of, of, of definitions, each one of them. So, you know, you just multiply, uh, you know, the different words, the definitions of the different words in here, and you could come up with tons of different translations. And, and depending on the version that you have, there are different translations. Some, some say uh, doesn't keep a, a, an account of wrongs suffered. Uh, some, some say just thinks no evil. Uh, this is the word... Uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it's the word from which we get logic. So, so you could, it could be like, uh, love doesn't rationalize sin. That would be a, a concept in here. There's all sorts of different uh, things that, that this could mean. I'm going to give you one that I, I think it might mean. Because I want to keep in mind here that, that the concept here is love. And, and so... The concept of love is how things affect the relationship. And I think the idea is that love doesn't assume or think or consider evil motives. That is such an important part of relationships. So often we, we jump to a conclusion that someone did something because they're trying to get something or get back at me. It's so easy to assume or consider an evil motive. So now we're, we're formulating thoughts based on an attitude that... that Produce the desire, and now those are concrete thoughts. Will those produce actions? You see it moving on out to actions. It says love doesn't behave inappropriately or unbecomingly. That's a broad topic. Once our desires and our inner character 
are formed, it will then affect how I interact with other people. If I have assumed a person has thought something about me or done something about me, I will go into the next conversation with that person with a bias. Because I've made those assumptions, I have developed those thoughts. And I will do things that are not in their best interest. And not in the best interest of the relationship. Things that will harm my relationship with them. Things that will harm their relationship with God. Sometimes even to harm their relationship with other people. And since it's affecting my actions, it will then affect my reactions. And that's the last stage. He says it's not easily provoked. Well, by making all those assumptions and, and all these things are happening, it's so easy to respond to something that is, is real. Sometimes it, there are real things that, that people do, and it's It's obvious. It's easy to get provoked. Sometimes we mentally practice our responses. Ever do that? As soon as I say that, I've got all my comebacks lined up in a row. I'm ready, and I'm waiting. I practice. Well, now I've got all, all those good comebacks. So you can't let them go to waste. Right? And so as soon as I have that little chance to use them, we're going to use them. So I've practiced it in here. And so my reactions, well, they're practiced. And so let's, let's practice reserved. Let's, let, let's practice the hesitance and the, the not getting provoked. Practice in your mind ahead of time conflict resolution. That's not fun. It's much more fun to think of what I'm going to say next. So let's look at it from the positive side because there's a lot of positives. There's, there's, this list has... We're going to retrace our steps from, from that point. Using the positives that Paul gives. Love is not, but love is. What love is? He says, love suffers long. That's kind of a negative. But, but love does. Some say patience. The word is long-suffering. I am good at several things. Well, okay to Good. I can handle, uh, let's see, so Monday I have an appointment. I've talked to my, my love of needles. I have blood work to do uh, Monday. I can handle that. I can get ready for that. Don't like needles, but, but it's just a short period of time, so I can handle that. I can handle discomfort for a short period of time. 
I could handle a general nuisance for a long period of time, or an extended period of time, until the, it's too much. I'm really good at a minor irritance for a short period of time. I can do that any time. You know, that's easy. But long suffering, that's a lot of pain for a long time. That's not easy. That's what patience is. Love suffers long. Pain over time. He says, love endures all things. So, so long-suffering has no exceptions. All things. In other words, there are no inconvenience. There exists no inconveniences that I will allow to leverage me against other people, against brothers in Christ especially. I endure all things, even legitimate things, not just imagined things, but real things. That's our responses. So we're starting from, from responses and we're going to back up to my actions. Long before I get to my responses to things, my, just the things that I initiate, the actions I have. He says, love is kind. You see, if, if my actions are based on love, then the right reactions will be easier. Because I'm, I'm practicing, like we talk about, I'm, I'm practicing the kindness, the, the, the initiation of, of things that are productive for relationships. So my reactions are much easier if I already have the kindness, the general behavior already in place. Back up one more step. As we, as we kind of retract back inside from my actions now to my thoughts and my plans and my... This is... Love covers all things. Love covers all things. What does that mean? Some say, uh, your version might say, love bears all things. It's not really the word to carry, but it's fine translation. The idea is still there, but it's, it's literally love covers all things. And it's not pretending... Love doesn't pretend that problems don't exist. That's not what he's saying, because that just makes more problems down the road. But he's saying that love doesn't dwell on things, and, and love is willing to look past things as we, as we work to, to iron out situations. Love is covering. It's a, it's a mental process. It's the opposite of assuming bad motives. And so I back up from my thoughts to, to these desires. This love celebrates 
or rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. It wants to think about what is real, what reality is. It rejoices in the truth. To rejoice means more than just to make you happy. That's a part of it. But it's, it's like what you celebrate. What you get excited about. And some people, we get, we get excited and celebrate all sorts of things. What is it you really want to hear? About other people. What do I really want to hear? What do I celebrate? If we want to use the word celebrate, that, that kind of throws a different twist on it. But, but really, in a way, we, we celebrate. Our tendency is to celebrate juicy tidbits. That's what I'm excited about. So did you hear me? That's my tendency. But get excited to and celebrate genuine things, real things, true things. Now I'm not talking about factual things. That's not what I'm talking about because sometimes the juicy tidbits are, are factual. That's not what I'm talking about. The truth in, in concept. What is real? What is genuine? That's what promotes healthy relationships. What do I celebrate? What do I want to hear? And so these are my desires. And we back up all the way from there to my general outlook in life. My general attitude in life. When I want to develop love, it will start with these two concepts. It believes all things. And it hopes all things. That's the general concept. Now, love is not gullible. That's not what he's saying. It believes everything. You meet someone that believes everything? That's not what he's talking about. Love is generally positive. Love has a generally positive outlook on life. And other people. Love goes into the relationship assuming the best in another person until it's absolutely proven otherwise. Believes all things. I believe the best in the person. I believe something good will happen. I want to believe the best. And it hopes all things. Even when things don't seem to be going right, I'm hoping for the best. It is generally positive. It is so easy to be critical and negative. I am a native of New England. There is nobody that can be more critical than me. I am a cynic by birth. Born and raised. To develop the tendency 
to assume that things will go good. Generally, be positive. Because when I'm positive, everything else will kind of fall in line from there. This is the master treatise of Paul on relationships. Do these things. I won't even have to worry about not doing the not things. If I start from doing the do things, the not things will take care of themselves. As we close, I just want to leave you with that challenge to to understand as we walk out those doors. How relationships go is up to me. I know relationships involve two people. It's easy for me to wait for the other person to make that first step. I have the ability to determine how my relationships will go. To show love. And in that love, faith and hope and everything else will develop its context and and be what God wants to be. But understand, love has to abide. Now abides love. It's not just a a, a present thing. Here's love. But to abide means to be there constantly. To live there. Now lives love.